Hello and welcome back to Why Morocco, a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to spotlighting some of the inspiring creative personalities who share my love of the North African Kingdom of Morocco. My name's Mandy Sinclair, known online as Mandy in Morocco, and I'm the host of the podcast. As you sit back and listen, it's my hope that you'll leave feeling inspired to pay a visit or motivated to start planning that trip to the Kingdom of Morocco. On this week's episode, Sarah Kashirid stopped by the studio to chat about the tradition of storytelling in Morocco. Sarah's first memories of the tradition started in Abu Dhabi, where she was raised. Her grandmother would visit her and her family, telling Sarah and her sisters tales about life in Morocco. In fact, it was through storytelling that she developed a deeper understanding of her heritage. She returned to Morocco some years ago, and today she's one of the apprentices in Café Clock's Storyteller Programme. So let's listen in as Sarah tells us about storytellers and shares one of her favorite tales. So, hi Sarah, thank you for joining me in the studio today. It's so lovely to see you after having heard you. Your stories at Café Clock, uh, where you perform on occasion as a storyteller. Um, so I just wanted to, to chat with you about like, being a storyteller in Marrakesh and also the tradition, because the storyteller tradition in Morocco, and correct me if I'm wrong, seems to be typically a male trade, or at least on Jumel Fna. Yeah. Is that correct? Well, it used to be a long time ago, because um, the first storytellers that we used to see in public squares are, were males mostly. Mm-hmm. And the only female storytellers that we used to know were our grandmothers. And the reason why grandmothers specifically, because they were old. And they were, um, it was something normal to see them around the square sitting and listening uh, with the males, I mean, and listening to other storytellers telling stories. Uh, for, exa- for example, if my mom in her 30s went there and st- stood there and listened to stories, it would look kind of bizarre at that time. I mean, it's a very old time. It was in the ninth centuries at that time. Um, so it was kind of a well, weird thing to see. Women, young women standing around males. So only grandmothers used to to save those stories and take them and then tell them to their, to their kids. And uh, it was mostly dominated by males mm-hmm. in in public square. But now um, there is some female storytellers. Yeah. So let's go back. So you say the grandmothers would go to the square. Yeah. They would say they would listen to these old stories and then they would go home and retell what they had heard. So do you remember, like, was that something that um, was normal in your household? Would your grandma tell you tales? Uh, I grew up uh, in Abu Dhabi. I was born there. And my grandma used to come once in a while. Like, she would stay with us for three months in a year. And through that time, she would notice that we were just... um, so spoiled mm-hmm. and she would tell us stories uh, for, to punish us sometimes to give us morals mm-hmm. so when we get back to Morocco so it would be easy for us to adjust with others and and some t- th- those stories helped us to adjust with others and understand Moroccan how they think and how how we should communicate with them because it's really different for us as we were kids it was hard but then through the stories we learned how to communicate with people from our own country and they were helpful for us at that time. So what were some of the themes that your grandmother, of the stories that your grandmother would tell you guys um, as little kids in Abu Dhabi? I think that's amazing. 
So um, in Abu Dhabi, uh, we meet with lots of people from different mm-hmm. backgrounds. And uh, um, normally what they do is uh, when they have like lunch, mm-hmm. uh, everyone has their own plate. and They would eat from their own plate. This is what we are used to. We would use a fork and a spoon and eat with it. But then in Morocco, it's different. There is one plate of couscous and everyone is just grabbing whatever they want from there. And for us, we were too spoiled to do that. We would just sit and look at them and think like, what, what kind of behavior is that? But then when my grandma um, noticed that and she told, she told us that when you, share, um, when you share food with people, you share love, you share respect. And also it's not only food that you're sharing, but also you're sharing a part of you with others. So you have to be humble and eat with others and be thankful for what you have on that plate. And she would always, she would always nag about how spoiled we were. <laughs> she would tell us stories and just like to to teach us how to just to adjust with others here. Yeah. So then, when did you come back to Morocco? Um, now it's been eight years mm-hmm. when I'm here. In 2010. Okay. Yeah, eight years, not nine actually. So then you went, you came back to Morocco and you started studying um, at the local university and you studied um, English literature. So did that kind of then form the basis of why you were interested in becoming a storyteller or what really pushed you to to do this? Um, Mainly it's because, uh, first of all, it was, it was just a coincidence how I, I, how I knew about the program at the cafe clock. Um, I was, I was this, this day, I'm going to tell you a little story how it yeah. started. So um, I was at the university and uh, I can't remember exactly what happened with the professor and I was mad. So I was going around the university looking for my friend. And when I found him, he was standing there and there was another friend with him that I didn't know that he was a storyteller. So I went right to him. I didn't even say hi. And I started complaining, complaining, complaining and telling him a story about what happened with the, with the professor. Until that guy, the storyteller, spoke and said, well, you talk a lot and you know how to tell a story. So here is an offer. You should come to Cafe Clock. You should meet the master story. You're going to love him and he's going to love you. Mm-hmm. He didn't even tell me that you're, maybe you're going you're gonna to start as a storyteller. He just said, you have to meet Al-Hajj, uh, the master storyteller. So I went there. I had a cafe. I, I sat there. I watched them, how they performed and the stories they told. And they somehow, um, when I saw the master performing, it, it kind of gave me this feeling of my grandma, how she used to tell us stories. And I thought maybe, maybe I can also learn some stories and share them. And at that time as well, I, I wasn't aware um, of our own culture because it was I came from another place to Morocco. I still had lots of things to learn. I still had to... Um, adjust and know people more. So I thought maybe learning stories would help me to learn more about my own culture. I just joined the master, gave me my first story and I performed it and it was amazing. And from that time until now, it's four years and I'm telling stories now and I love it. Wow. Yeah. I find that so interesting. Storytelling has brought you closer to your own, like to your heritage. Yes. Really? Yes. What are some of your favorite stories then? Uh, my favorite story would be, uh, it's called The Water Cellar. 
in Moroccan Arabic it's called Al-Girev. It's one of my favorites. It's because uh, there is there is creativity, there is also um, karma, there is also good intentions, how people end up with their good intentions. Um, I, I just love that story. It has lots of things that kind of um, shapes me as a as me. That's why I like it. Um, there's also another story is about uh, a woman who was uh, she 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 used to get abused by her husband and uh, she never lost faith on him she thought maybe he would change for her because she loves him but then he never did so he ended up kicking her out of the house with one missing hand he cut off her hand so she was uh, alone and uh, she started praying at the end she she got married again to a very rich man uh, and that rich man himself she was the reason why he was rich it's it's the kind of tiny little plot inside the story which i love it uh, i like how good people end up with good things and how um a person should never change no matter what they get in through through their way mm-hmm. these are like two of my favorite stories mm-hmm. So let's just go back to um, the the fact that we said that uh, storytelling is becoming a bit of a dying art. But at Cafe Clock, they've created this program with a master storyteller. And then the apprentices, like yourself, you can join and then you learn from the storyteller. Is that correct? And then you perform. Well, there's live performances on Mondays and Thursdays at Cafe Clock. Yes, it is. Um, the reason why this program was created is just to save the art and not only by saving it with, with its original language, but also translating it. Um, we try to spread the stories with, uh, by using, uh, by translating them and sharing them in English language since it's a common language. Um, we meet the master every Sunday so we can get new stories every time. And the surprising thing, he has been doing this for a very long time. And every Sunday we have a new story. I have no idea from where he gets those stories. Well, that's amazing. You know, there's the Grimm Brothers uh, fairy tales. There's the Aesop's. Of course, then Disney comes along and they make, you know, really Disney-fied fairy tales, right? Like the Little Mermaid and whatnot. Where do the fairy tales, the stories in Morocco come from? Most of the Moroccan stories are, um, most of them are about kings and queens because uh, at, at the time, uh, storytellers used to tell stories only to royal families. And they used to tell stories about the king and how powerful he is and how, um, how rich he is just to um, get tips from the king. Mm-hmm. So most of the stories are about kings and queens and wars. Um, other stories are mostly, uh, most of the stories also they're traveling from one place to another. And we have a story, um, that is, there is, I, I saw it in a movie. It's the literal, literal red riding hood, mm-hmm. but then it's a Moroccan version. She's not wearing a red cap, but she's just wearing a jalaba <laughs> and walking in, in, in middle of the forest. It's the same story, but then with a Moroccan touch. 
So this is another proof that stories do travel from one place to another. And when I asked the master, he said it's one of the oldest stories we have in Morocco. And I was surprised. There, that's not only the only story that I heard that, that I've seen as a movie. There's lots of other stories also. There are movies, but then they're a bit changed. Wow. So the stories travel. But then do you think perhaps also some this part of the art of storytelling is that the those who would be telling tales in the you know palaces for kings and queens like they would make up the story as well or was it already something that like a text that they had um some of them are fairy tales mm-hmm. some of them are um mythical stories and uh, some of them are true stories uh ma- mainly the stories that were told to the king were about people from the streets and people who who the storyteller lived with and people who told him stories about their lives. Mm-hmm. So they would take those stories and just add a little bit of performance and of, uh, um, body language, a bit of jokes just to make the king laugh and then go back to the palace and tell them to the king. That's, main, that's how it worked. And also since Morocco, in Morocco here, we have lots of mythical stories. We have lots of myths. We have uh, fairy tales. So... That kind of story has also been um, told throughout our time until this day. Sometimes we still hear some stories that contains lots of um, magic and uh, fairy tales as well. Yeah. So, you know, I think not only is it maybe dying on Jim Elfna, but I do wonder if um, the tradition of the grandmothers telling stories in the home maybe fizzling out as well with the technology and it's just easy to throw on like a YouTube video or Netflix or something like that. Yeah. Do you, do you think that might be happening? Uh, it, sadly it is happening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, I only have one grandfather now. I rarely see him and I'm very guilty of that, but we try to meet every, every Friday mm-hmm. and we have because it's a kind of tradition in Morocco to have couscous every Friday. So we meet with him and he would always tell us stories, not, not traditional old folklore stories, but then stories about how he, how he uh, used to work, his life and how things changed from his time to this time. He would also give us tiny little morals just to remind us of how, how much of, of a life we have, not only the, our computers and our phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it is happening. It is. It's so, so true. And I don't think it's not just like in Moroccan society. I think it's in this society in general is that just so much change just wanting to be alone, but yet connected. And so you think like, well, why don't you just want to be like with other people, put your phone away mm-hmm. and then just have a listen to like a proper story or, movie or whatever it might be so just the general communication exactly if 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 people just have time to communicate once in a while they would have a story there mm-hmm. but then yeah as you said people want to be alone but then connected at the same time which is sad mm-hmm. yeah yeah well i think it's so impressive that in a trade that's typically male dominated your using it to go back to your roots to explore your culture and try to, you know, share what you've learned with 
other people, people passing through, like, you know, travelers coming to Morocco, um, because I've listened to some of the stories and they're really well done. They're really interesting. Of course, I can't understand when Al-Hajj uh, tells a story, but he's so animated and so passionate about what he does that it's a pleasure to listen to it, even though I can't understand much or anything at all. Um, so it's, it's great that Cafe Clock is doing this to keep this alive and that you're also being a part of it so that you can keep this tradition alive. Yes. It's just really a pleasure to be one of uh, the storytellers, one of the fewest female storytellers, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying my best to, to, to stay in this program. Mm-hmm. We have a hectic program, but then we have to keep it. Because I'm really, I'm really passionate. I want to see more girls involved, especially girls, mm-hmm. um, since we're, where in our society we're considered the feminine, the quite shy girls who don't we don't speak much. So I want to see more girls talking. I want to see more girls uh, standing in stages and being powerful, talk, speaking out loud. That would be nice to see. And also something that people don't realize, especially people of my age, story telling stories is not only you. You're not only telling, but we're also reviving emotions, events. And also you're trying to connect. That's the most important thing, connecting with, with the audience, connecting with people. Because just telling a story, but you're also benefiting from it. You're growing as a person and you're learning lots of things. Will you um, tell a story for us? Or is it like too awkward because we're sitting in a studio and there's no public? <laughs> like, I would love to hear the story about the water cellar. Let's start by, it's, it's, this story belongs to the 12th century. It's one of the oldest story, stories. And this story was based in Marrakesh. So at that time, there was no clean water. And people would go to very far wells to get clean water. And even if they got, got water from that well, they would go back home and boil it just to make sure that it's clean. And the only people who sold water were... Uh, water sellers, which we call them here Greb. So um, they would they would uh, go to far wells, get water, and then boil it at, the, at their houses. And they would get this bag made out of leather, goat leather, and uh, they would pour water inside of it and just hang it in a ceiling so it would get cool with the wind. And that bag is called Grba. So they used this technique to cool the water and also because of the leather of the goat, it gives it a very different taste. And they would go to public squares, souks, local markets, and they would sell this water to people. Um, so with the time, this water seller kept on doing this kind of craft for a very long time. He learned it from his father, from his grandfather as well, and he lived by it. Um, as the time passed by, he started noticing that he wasn't only the water seller, but also young people are competing with him. He got very old and he would just stand in one spot. And young people, they, uh, they would go and run from one place to another trying to sell the water. So there was less income for him. And he would always go back home with, with empty pockets, but a bag full of water. And he started to notice also that um, they don't have food at their house. Their children are, his children are comp- uh, complaining. So he sat there and started thinking, what if I change the crafts? What if I learned something new? So he started um, thinking again and saying, well, I'm too old to learn anything. 
So he thought about using the same craft, but then being creative, being different. So he brought, he bought some raisins. He washed them and then smashed them with a rock and put them inside of his bag, the leather bag, and poured warm water and started shaking that water and hanged it in the ceiling until the next morning. And then he got his bag and tasted the water and it was sweet and cool. It was perfect for, for summer weather in Marrakesh. So he did that again the next day and he took his bag and went to the market and he started roaming around the market trying to sell the water, but he was too old to run, to move faster than the others. Whenever he would reach to a shop or to someone, they would tell him that we already got out our water. We have a bag full of water here. So we did, they don't bother to buy anything. So he stood up in one place under, under a palm tree and he started thinking, well, if I can't sell water this way, I should come up with something new also. Something would attract people. So he came up with a very random lines, but yet they sound very wise. And those lines were, um, it means, uh, a sweet drink from raisins. Whoever knocked the door of God will never be deceived, but whoever dig the hole will fall right into it. They were very random words. But at that time, if people heard some random, kind of wise words, they would get interested. They would want to know more because at that time, only the royal families were educated and they're the only people who had access to education and books and knowledge in general. So he kept on repeating those words and people were interested more in the words than his water. And when they noticed that he's carrying a bag, they would ask, are you selling water? He would say, yes, it's water, but it's sweet. Do you want to try then they would say, of course, yes. And they would, he would pour some water and give them. They would taste it and they would love it. So they would ask for more until the word spread that this man is selling sweet water, not just like any other water. So at the end of the day, he ha had um, an empty bag, but a, a pocket full of go golden coins. He got happy. He went home. He bought more raisins and he did the same process again and again and again for an entire two weeks until everyone knew about him and everyone started calling him the sweet Gareb. So people would come to his house knocking on his door. He, he doesn't even have to go out anymore. He would just sell water from his home. Until one time there were guards from the royal palace knocking on his door and asking for him. When he opened the door and saw the guards, two scenarios came to his head. He's either going to get to jail or getting rewarded with lots of money because the king never asks for someone for, for a random reason. So they asked him, you go back, get your bag full of water and follow us. The king wants to see you. So he followed the guards. And when he reached the royal palace in front of the king and the ministers, uh, the king asked him, are you selling water in the local market? He said, yes, I do. So he asked him again, do you use some random words? And I'm interested in those words. Can you please repeat them to me? So the, the, the water seller repeated the same words. A sweet drink from raisins. Whoever knocked the door of God will never be deceived. But whoever dig the hole will fall right into it. And the king loved the words. And he was surprised to see a man, a very old man, wise with, with such words. So he asked him, how did you came up with those words? He said, 
they were ju- they they were very they came very randomly to me and they just used them to sell water. Then he kept on looking at him and said, "You're a very wise man. Do you know that?" Then the Greb said, "If you say so, your highness." Then the king asked him, "Can you please just give me some of your water?" He poured him some water and gave it to the king. The king tasted the water and he loved it. So he looked to his right and there was the minister. And then he told him, you have to try his water. So the minister looked at the king and said, all right, your highness, it's an order. He can't say no. So he asked him for some water. He poured him some water and drank it. And then the king asked him, do you like it? He said, yes, your highness, it's very sweet. It's special. It's nothing, it's nothing like I've ever tasted. Then the king told him, then you have to pay him. What are you waiting for? Then the minister looked at the king and said, All right, your highness. He took one golden coin and he gave it to the old man. Then the old man took that golden coin and thanked him. And then the king looked at him and said, Why are you just giving him one golden coin? He deserved more. With such words, he deserved more. Give him a bag full of golden coins. Then the minister was confused. Why would I give a, a bag full of golden coins just for one glass of water? He, he got educated more than this old man. Probably he had more knowledge than this old man. So he was kind of, kind of jealous of this man. He gave him the bag and, and the old man just took that bag and thanked him. And then the king told him, you're no longer going to sell water on the local markets. This water is so special and I want you to sell it inside of my palace. Now, all of my ministers will pay you and you, you will be serving the royal family for the rest of your life. So the old man here was very happy. He secured himself a very nice job inside of the palace. So he went on his way and he kept on working in the palace for one week. And until something in our Moroccan culture, well, we say that uh, for which means for every blessing, there is someone who envies you who is jealous of you. No matter how small the blessing is, there is always someone who would envy you for that. You're sleeping peacefully. You sleep for 12 hours and you don't even wake up. They would be, they would just envy you for that. They would say how lucky you are. So for this uh, water seller, the man who envied him was the minister, the right hand of the king. So the, the minister started thinking of a way to kick the old man out of the palace. Uh, and he came up with a plan and he, it was a very secured plan that he would get rid of this old man. So the next day, the old man coming to the palace and before entering the court, the, the minister stopped him and then told him, do you like your job? The old man said, yes, I do. It, it's, it, um, it gives me money, which, which also I can provide for my, for my children. It's the only craft that I know. So I'm very thankful for it. And then the then minister said, do you want to keep it? He said, of course I do want to keep it. Then he told them, then go back to your home, get a scarf and cover your nose and your mouth, your entire mouth, just cover your mouth. Then the, the old man asked, why would I cover my mouth? And the minister started screaming and shouting at him. Why, why are you asking questions such thing? Aren't you, aren't you embarrassed of yourself? Then the old man was confused, not understanding what's going on. And then the, uh, the minister told him, well, here's the thing. You have a very bad breath. And whenever you're serving the king, he smells a bad breath coming out of you. You should be ashamed of it. Cover your mouth or you're going to get kicked out of the palace because of your bad breath. 
the old man told him, I'm very sorry, your highness. I can't control such thing. I'm very sorry. I'll go back to my house. I'll get the scarf and I'll just do my job and go back to my home. And he went to his house and got the scarf and got inside. So here in Marrakesh, it's very hot to use such scarf around his mouth. And the king noticed that he's wearing a scarf. So as he was serving the ministers and the king, he would repeat the same words that he used at the local market. A sweet drink from raisins, whoever knocks the door of God will never be deceived, but whoever dig the hole will fall right into it. Repeating the same words and barely breathing, the king could notice. So he just took, kept on looking at him and, and he never asked the question for an entire week until he had enough when he looked to his right hand, the minister, and then asked him, can you please tell me why do you think is he wearing a scarf? It's very hot and he's very old. He can barely breathe. Is he, is he insane? Then the minister looked at him and said, do you really want to know your highness? I don't, want, I don't want to be the person to tell you. Then the king told him, what's going on? Just tell me. Then the minister said, well, your highness, it was a mistake. It was a big mistake of you to get someone from the streets and get them inside of the palace and give them the same amount of money that we earn as ministers. That is the biggest mistake, your highness. Now he thinks himself that he's a minister or somehow someday he's going to be the king. Then the king was very confused. The minister here saying such things in front of other ministers and everyone was confused and they wanted to know more. So the minister said, well, your highness, since he came to the palace, he kept on telling people that you have a very bad breath whenever he's serving you. And getting close to you, he smells a very bad breath coming out of you. And he has been telling this to everyone. Everyone now in the palace knows, the maids, the, the servants, the, the guards, everyone, your highness. You should kick him out of the palace. The king got, got embarrassed and he was very angry. How, how can someone say such things behind his back, knowing that he was the one who gave him a job inside of the palace? So as any normal king... He stood up from his place and he was very angry about it and started shouting and saying and screaming, how dare he, that he's ungrateful. I should just kick him out of the palace. And he went running to his room, to his wife. He got closer to her and told her, do you smell my breath? She said, yes, your highness, but what's going on? He said, is my breath stinky? Do you smell anything bad coming out of me? She said, no, your highness. Then he told her, well... The old man, the ungrateful old man selling water inside of my house. He started spreading rumors about me saying that my breath stinks. And as his wife, she was also mad. And she got out of her place and she said, Your Highness, this man doesn't deserve whatever you're giving him. Just kick him out of the palace. So the king here started thinking and said, Well, I'm not only going to kick him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just finish him and kill him and get rid of him. Some people like him being ungrateful, they don't deserve to stay alive. So he started thinking, how can I kill someone who people and everyone thinks that he's innocent and he's old and poor trying to provide for his kids? How can he just get rid of such a person? So he also came up with a very nice, clever plan. So the next day, Grab came, the water seller. And he was wearing his scarf and serving the ministers and the king until the king stopped him. And he just looked at him and told him, do you, do you really like your job? The old man said, yes, your highness, I do. Then he told him, well, all right, here is a box. 
It's full of golden coins and jewelries. Take it to your wife. And he just took it and went home. The next day, the king took a very beautiful vase, a vase that is made out of gold and jewelries, and it was very expensive. And he went to the guards and told the guards at the door, whoever came out of my palace carrying this vase, just cut off your head. No question asked. Probably someone is going to steal this vase and it's a very expensive vase. I love it. And I'm very sure that someone is going to steal it. Just be careful. So the guards said, yes, your highness, we will. And he went back to his palace inside of the court and he sat down. Grab came serving water and repeating the same words until the king stopped him and looked at him and asked him again, do you love your job? He said, yes, your highness, and I'm very grateful for it. And he just looked at him and took a very deep breath and told him, well, today we're not going to give you a box full of golden coins. We're not going to give you coins. We're not going to give you anything. But I'll give you this vase. It's a very beautiful vase. It's a golden vase made of all jewelries. Your wife will love to see something beautiful in the house. So just take it. It's a gift for me. The old man was very happy and he thanked the king. Now he's getting gifts from the king. What can he ask for more? He thanked the king, took the vase and went on his way. The minister watching everything, what was going on. And he started telling himself, well, I'm trying to kick this person out and he's getting gifts. How come? So he told the king, well, excuse me, your highness. I have something to do. I have something to ask Gareb and I will be back to you. He went running behind Gareb. Before Gareb reached the guards, for the single signal to kill him, the minister stopped him and then told him, listen, I don't think a vase of gold would be servable for you and your family. How about I change it to gold? You take gold, which gold will get you food and you need food more than a golden vase in your house, something just to see, but you need something to eat. So he just took the vase and gave him the gold. The old man didn't say anything. He was grateful anyway for anything. He's providing for his children. That's what he cares of, cares about. So the old man took the bag and went on his way safely back to his children while the minister took the vase and walked towards the guards. And we know the signal, what was it? So they killed the minister. The body was on the ground and they started shouting and screaming. Why would the minister steal a vase? He's rich. He can get his own vase. So... The king heard them screaming and he knew that it's the signal. He's dead. Finally, he got out of his place to see the body and he was his minister. So he started shouting at the, at the guards. Why did you kill my minister? Don't you know that he's my right hand? So the guards told him, well, your highness, he was carrying the vase, the signal that you told us. He was sealing your vase, your highness. So he saw the vase. He saw the body. And then he knew that the old man is still alive. He asked the guards to go and get the old man. So the man, the old man came to the palace in, inside of the court with other ministers. And then the king was very mad and angry at him. So he asked him, I have two questions for you and you better be honest. So the old man, he was shaken and trembling and scared for his life. And then the, the king asked him, the first question is, where is the vase that I gave you? I gave you a very expensive vase and next thing I know, it's on the floor. You threw it away? Where is it? Why did you throw it? And the old man said, well, your highness, I, I didn't throw it away. I gave it to the minister. Then the king, why would you give it to the minister? Then the old man started explaining. Your highness, the minister said that I don't need a vase. I need gold 
I need money so I can provide for my children. So he just took the vase and I took the money and I'm fine with it. I'm really grateful for it. I'm earning enough to provide for my children and I'm very grateful for it. So the king here took a moment and then he asked him again, here is your second question. Why are you wearing a scarf around your face? And the, the old man was very, very ashamed to tell him. So he told him, where well, your highness, the truth is the same minister told me to get a scarf and cover my face because I'm serving, I'm serving your highness, you, the king and the ministers, and you smell a very bad smell coming out of my breath. And I'm very ashamed of it. I can't control it. I'm very sorry for that. That's why I'm covering it to save my children and to save my job and to save myself. So the king here realized what, what, what was the plan, what the minister did here. He was digging a hole for the old man to fall into it just because he was envious of him. So he stood up from his place, took him by the hand and told him, now, please, I need you to repeat the same words you were using. They're very important. So the old man said, a sweet drink from Azus. Whoever knocked the door of God will never be deceived, but whoever dig the hole will fall right into it. And then the king started explaining those words. A sweet drink from raisins. Indeed, your drink is made out of a very sweet raisins, the first sweetest water I've ever tasted. Whoever knocked the door of God will never be deceived. You were very faithful to your craft and you loved it. Your faith and your patience got you to the palace, to me, to help you. And you will never be deceived if you have such faith in yourself and your craft and your God. So you knock the God's door and you'll never be deceived. Whoever dig the hole will fall right into it. This is what's happening right now. The minister dig the hole for you to fall right into it by, by kicking you out of the palace. But now he felt right into it. So you are safe and you are wise and you are a very creative man. You should be proud of yourself. Now, a man like you would be raising a very intelligent kids. And I don't want such family to be a waste. I want you, all of you, to come to my palace. I want you to live inside of my palace. And I want your children to work for me when they grow up. So the old man not only securing a job, but also now he's living in the palace with his family. Mm -hmm. And all of them, they lived happily ever after. What an amazing story. I loved listening to that. It was so captivating. I'm just wondering, do you know when that story dates back to? Uh, I only know it's back in the 12th century because mm -hmm. at that time there were lots of water sellers. Mm -hmm. Now you would see them. In the, have you seen them? In, in the public square? the tourists. Yeah, it's, just, it's, like, yeah it's, it's more now just like a symbol, like mm -hmm. just for pictures and yeah, that's sad because they're trying to sell also water to gain money from it. But then water is everywhere now. What I loved about that story was um, like as a business person, the constant need to innovate and differentiate. I thought it was brilliant what he did. And those who do, I think, really innovate and not follow the pack and not just in business, but in life in general, really do reap the benefits. Would you agree? Yes, it doesn't matter how many people does the thing. It, what it matters is how you be, how how you being creative in it, and how different you are from others. As long as as you are creative and you believe in yourself, then the crafts or the business or the thing you have will grow eventually and will be different than the others. That's why it's, it's my, one of my favorite stories. It's more about creativity and being different. And I just think you as an individual, um, you know. Storyteller, I'm sure your grandmother would be so proud of you. And 
what you're doing. And, you know, you may not be telling them in the home, but telling them in a cafe and telling them to other people, you're very captivating. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to meet with me today and also sharing the, the story of the water cellar, because I really did um, enjoy that. I feel very fortunate to have had a private, um, <laughs> <laughs> private session. Yeah, absolutely. You're very welcome. It's my yeah. pleasure. If you're a fan of getting off the tourist trail and planning mm-hmm. to be in Marrakesh, join us for one of our Tasting Marrakesh food and cultural tours. On our Tasting Marrakesh Gilles tour, we explore some of the 20th century architecture in Marrakesh, stop at some of our favorite art galleries housed in Art Deco gems, and wander through parks and religious buildings that surprise visitors who dare to venture beyond the Marrakesh Medina. We chat history, eat street food, and shop. You know, some of our favorite things. Our website is tasting-marrakesh.com for more details. That's Marrakesh with a C-H. All of our tours are private and bespoke, so we take you only to the places that interest you. But for now, it's time to say see you in two weeks when I'll be sitting down with the author of Moroccan Heritage. In the meantime, if you want to discuss a collaboration or partnership, please feel free to get in touch via my website, mandyandmorocco.com. And if you're a fan of this podcast, Why Morocco? I'd be so appreciative if you would rate and review this podcast on your favorite channel. Until next time. Thank you.